Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, May 25th, day four of the 2022 French Open, now officially in the books. Boy, did we have some drama. Of course, the headline results on the day involved a couple of five-set survivals from two top eight seeds on the men's side. Of course, Carlos Alcaraz, who came into the tournament as the second odds-on favorite to capture the title according to various betting sites, was pushed to the brink. He faced a match point, but ultimately overcame that deficit, earning a five-set victory over the always difficult clay court specialist Albert Ramos Vinolas. I want to talk about what allowed Alcaraz to survive today. The chops he showed in the big moments, his willingness to continue to stay aggressive even when facing some scoreboard pressure. Of course, his ability to shake off a late break in the fifth set to ultimately secure that break right away, then hold to win the match. I want to talk about all that makes Carlos Alcaraz special as we have so frequently seemingly of late on this podcast. Of course, another top eight seed to survive a two sets to love deficit was number three seeded Alex Zverev. Zverev was down two sets to love to one of the rising stars on the ATP tour in young Argentinian Sebastian Baez. Baez seemingly had Zverev down and out, up a break 4-2 in the third. Of course, had a two sets to love deficit that he saw evaporate, but up a break 4-2 in the third, ultimately had a match point himself up 5-4, ultimately Zverev of able to overcome that, survive with a 7-5 fifth set victory. I want to talk about what allowed Alex Zverev to get through this second round match, a match that I actually thought saw Zverev play some of his best tennis in high pressure moments that we've seen from him in quite a bit a while. Of course, I do also want to talk about what makes Sebastian Baez so special, why I think his success on the clay courts will translate to the hard courts this summer. We'll get into that five set match, of course here on today's show. There were some upsets, some players unable to survive. Of course, survival is the name of the game at these Grand Slams, but on the women's side in particular, we continue to see top 10 seeds fall today. It was Maria Sakkari knocked off in straight sets, 7-6, 7-6, two breakers taken by Karolina Mukova. Now, of course, Karolina Mukova, a player we have seen in multiple Grand Slam quarterfinals before, but to see Mukova back healthy, playing at the level she did. I want to talk about what made her successful. What was a tough day at the office for Maria Sakkari and what has been a tough stretch for her? Obviously had semifinal points to defend from last season. She's going to see those points evaporate off of her record. Still well positioned, of course, for many different, I mean, she's going to get into whatever she wants to play, still be highly seated at countless different events, but it did feel like there was an opportunity here. We know how successful and strong Iga Sviantek has been, but who's the best of the rest with how open that bottom half of the draw feels. Uh, you felt like Sakari might be one of the players well positioned to take advantage of that fact. Unfortunately, she's knocked off in straight sets. Want to break down that match. Want to talk about some of the other upsets on the day. We saw Emma Raducanu knocked off. Taylor Fritz knocked off. Countless others. We'll get into that. Talk about those top seeds who looked awfully good and advanced to round number three on the women's side. Belinda Bencic. Oh man, was she excellent for the majority of her match. A straight set victory over Bianca Andreescu. Another straight set victory for Amanda Nisimova, who in my opinion, continues to look like if it's not going to be Iga Sviantek, is there anyone in the draw playing them better than Amanda Nisimova? I'll make the case for why I think the answer to that question is no. Of course, on the men's side, Rafa Cruz, Djokovic Cruz, Schwartzman survived a two-sets love deficit. Plenty of results for us to discuss on today's show, and I've been fortunate enough to have a bunch of guests on the Mini Break podcast of late 
today we're going to get back to our roots. I'm going to be riding Han Solo, running you through the day's results again, talking about the matches that caught my eye in particular, and then more broadly running through the rest of the day's storylines. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here at Crack Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. And again, looking at our numbers, I know how many of you continue to tune in, that we have new listeners amongst us as well. It means the world to us that so many of you continue to turn to us here at Crack Rackets for your updates on the constant churning of storylines that occurs at the various levels of tennis. Of course, I am fortunate enough to be heading back to Champaign, Illinois tomorrow for the remainder of the 2022 Division I NCAA tennis season, those individual quarterfinals in both doubles and singles coming up. I'm going to be on the broadcast for the semifinals onward, but of course, we will continue to try to have French Open Daily Podcasts for all of you. We know it's busy times right now, Division I College Tennis Championships, a second Grand Slam of the season over lapping. That's a problem we're used to here at Cracked Rack. It's a problem we enjoy navigating. And so again, we are so excited to have cover, continue to have coverage of the various levels of tennis for all of you listeners, which we're only able to do because of your continued support. Of course, here on this podcast in particular, we are so grateful for the endless support we get from our friends over at Tennis Point who have been providing support to tennis players across the globe in helping them get the best equipment in the business at the lowest prices. If you need any updates to your apparel, to your rackets, the strings you're using, you name it, our friends at Tennis Point have it. They have it at the best prices as well, of course. When you inevitably do make a purchase, make sure you use our promo code CR15 at checkout. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. That's tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into day four at the 2022 French Open. And just a quick reminder, I know we didn't have daily podcasts for the first round, but yesterday I was so fortunate to be joined by essentially the co-host of this mini break podcast, Tennis.com editorial producer, David Kane. We ran through each of the quarters of the draw. We never had a draw preview for all of you listeners, so we tried to do that for you all yesterday, and we incorporated all of round one results into our draw preview. So if you are looking for a more big picture look at this 2022 French Open, in yesterday's podcast with DK, the show you are looking for. Again, here on in, we're going to focus on the results day in, day out, talk about the biggest upsets, the most notable matches of the day, try to do some previewing of the next day as well for all of you listeners at the end of the show. With that said, let's get into the most significant result of the day. And with all due respect to Alex Virov and with all due respect to Maria Sakkari, when you come into the tournament as the second odds-on favorite to capture the title, particularly the second odds-on favorite ahead of Rafael Nadal, Carlos Alcaraz is one of the biggest, if not the single biggest storyline at this 2022 French Open. Of course, what the young Spaniard has done over the past six months, 12 months, 18 months since pandemic play resumed, however long a stretch you want to go, simply extraordinary. Not something you see. There are maybe two people, three people in tennis history who have duplicated what Alcaraz has, has done. You think about a young Rafael Nadal. You think about a young Bjorn Borg on the men's side. Historically, that's really the only comparisons you can make for the 19-year-old, who of course is now a ridiculous 60-12 and 12 in his last 52 weeks, an 83% win percentage. Of course, that includes coming into this Roland Garros. He had, what, a 10-match win streak, that number now up to 12 consecutive victories for the 19-year-old as he survives. Five-set thriller over Albert Ramos, Vanoles, Alcaraz, a 6-1-6-7-5-7-7-6-6-4 victory. Again, you look for Alcaraz. Why is he the second odds-on favorite? Just the wins he's gotten on clay alone this season. It started off, of course, with that first-round three-set loss to Sebastian Corda after his Miami Masters title. But since then, a win over Tsitsipas, a win over Zverev, a win over Djokovic, a win over Nadal. 
Those are your other four of our top five contenders here at Cracked Rackets to capture the 2022 French Open men's title. Alcaraz has beaten all of them heading into this 2022 French Open. But of course, the biggest thing we continue to need to see from him is to continue to see him tested at the Grand Slam level. He's only made one quarterfinal in his career at the Slams. Now, of course, how many main draws has he played in his career at the Grand Slams? I believe the 2021 Australian Open, excuse me, was his first main draw at the Slams level. So what, there were four last season. This is his sixth main draw, maybe seventh at the Grand Slam level. It's a very small sample size of matches. In fact, let's just look for his career, 21-6 and six at uh, the Grand Slam level, but you look for him overall. Yeah, this is his sixth Grand Slam main draw. 6-0, by the way, in first rounds, which again, 99.8% of 19-year-olds just could never accomplish. Uh, you look for Carlos Alcaraz in his career, though, at the Slams. Obviously, has doesn't have the biggest sample size. I believe he's played 17 main draw matches. You look for him in terms of five set matches in his career. This was only his fifth. And what is notable for Alcaraz, he's four and one in the five five setters he's played thus far. Obviously earned the signature victory of his career, that five set victory over Tsitsipas at last year's U.S. Open. But look, he was down match point in this match. I don't believe that was the case for him in any of his prior five set victories. And Albert Ramos Vanolas played fantastic tennis throughout the duration of this match. In particular, Ramos, the lefty, using his forehand down the line to not allow Carlos Alcaraz to cheat over on that ad side of the court because, of course, what Carlos Alcaraz wants to do more than anything else on a court is hit forehands and his ability to dictate with that forehand. I don't need to repeat at length here what makes Carlos Alcaraz special, but his ability to find forehands is central to everything Carlos Alcaraz does on the court. That ad side kick serve out wide, either inside in or inside out forehand combination, it's all available to him. He's going to badger you down through the first set with that, and then once he has you worn down, that's when he starts to mix in the forehand drop shot. That's when you know he'll sneak in, maybe throw in a kick serve, serve and volley tactic as well. Alcaraz more than comfortable moving forward, and you look for Alcaraz in this match. Fairly successful at the net. 34 of 47, 72% win percentage. Again, he was the one throughout the course of this match pressing forward. And where there were moments when that pressing forward, it came back to bite him. You look for Carlos Alcaraz overall. Hit 74 winners in this match. Also made 74 unforced errors. And that's a testament to Albert ramos Vinolas, who continued to pressure Alcaraz throughout the duration of this match. Not necessarily with weapons from the ground, but just with his physicality and his relentlessness. You look for these players in this match. And shout out to the French Open website who has the you know most extensive stats available for you all they, these two guys played you know uh 65 points that went over nine shots and they played a total of let's see 107 plus 65 is 172 points in total which is about half actually i believe that's no no, no it's a little under half but half of their points went you know over that zero to four shot mark and by the way I believe it's 74% of rallies are zero to four shots. These guys played closer to 50% of their rallies at over zero to four shots. And of course, part of that is a byproduct of it being on a clay court, but that's a testament to the way Ramos Vanolas was able to extend rallies. He's so dangerous on the slide, so comfortable playing six feet behind the baseline. Now, that worked for him. In sets number two, set number three, and honestly, the majority of set number four. But this is where the credit has to go to Carlos Alcaraz, who even through the unforced errors, he kept swinging. And you look for Carlos Alcaraz ultimately ends up plus three uh, in that zero to four shot category against Ramos Vinoles, but ultimately plus 16 in the five plus shot rallies was willing to, you know, find his range. And, you know, I think that was the big thing in set number four and five is be a little bit more patient, not go after the first ball, but wait for that second ball to hit the plus one or plus two at that point shot, hit the approach shot, move forward, cover the net. And, you know, again, what was so impressive for Carlos Los Alcaraz is he's up a break early in that fifth set, has seemingly captured all the momentum, then plays a loose game, you know, while serving up 4-3 in that 
fifth set. And, you know, ultimately, Ramos Vanola is able to get the break back 4-4 all. But there was no hesitation for Carlos Alcaraz. And in particular, love 15 in that 4-all fifth set service game. Alcaraz, uh, Ramos has a second serve coming. Alcaraz goes out of his way, runs outside of that ad side alley to find a forehand on the return. Hits a blistering inside-out forehand return. And let's be clear. Albert Ramos Vanola's had the entire court open to him after Alcaraz put himself out of position to hit that forehand. And to Ramos' credit, he hits a big ball or hits the absorbs the pace, goes down the line, just goes to the open space. Alcaraz's ability in the fifth set—it's four all in the fifth set. They've played three and a half hours to track that ball down, hit an extraordinarily heavy down the line forehand behind Ramos as he was trying to recover back to the center. And then, you know, again, ultimately draws the error from Ramos Vanola's for love 30. It's that sort of physicality in that moment, that sort of willingness to go big that makes Alcaraz special. And then you look for him, the 5-4 service game starts off ace down the tee. And I didn't know he had that sort of pop on the ace down the tee. That's a new development seemingly for Carlos to see him win a free point in that fashion. But, you know, again, big serve. I believe it was ace wide, uh, wide, right, on match point to ultimately secure the match as well. He kept swinging. The crowd was all over Carlos Alcaraz. They want him to continue to survive. They want to see him in the second week in the biggest moments here in Roland Garros. They're ready to embrace him and, you know, look for him to challenge the big dogs. And to Carlos Alcaraz's credit, he survived and put himself in a position to do that. And look, Albert Ramos is relentless on the clay courts. You look for Ramos this season, won that title in Cordoba, semifinals in Santiago, semifinals in Estoril, round of 16 in Monte Carlo. Now, he came into Roland Garros on a four-match losing skid, but ultimately gets a good first-round win over Kokonakis. And again, this is a guy who, in his career at the ATP level on clay, 181 and 148. He's won over 50. 55% of his matches. This is the surface where he makes his bank. And you look for him at the slams, obviously, in Roland Garros. He's made a quarterfinal. Now, it was back in 2016, but round of 16 uh, in 2017. Third round, 2018. He, you know, again, is a guy who's 16 and 13 in his career at Roland Garros. Simply put, 90, nah, that's probably too high. I would say 67% of players, two-thirds of them, probably have losing records at the majority of the slams they play. This is a slam where Carlo, uh, Albert Ramos has had a significant amount of success. And again, physically, he was tested Carlos Alcaraz took him to the brink, but Alcaraz, he had match point, but Alcaraz able to come up with the big serve, stay aggressive in the big moments. And again, that's indicative of his mindset. He is going to down, go down swinging. You are not going to see passivity, although there was passivity in this match. There was that moment, I believe it was for all 30 all in that fifth set when Ramos ultimately, uh, when Alcaraz ultimately gets the break back where he had a look at an overhead and he actually let that ball get lower on his body and hit a swinging volley down the center instead, instead of going for the definitive overhead put away. There were definitely moments when Alcaraz was tight in this match, particularly on the backhand wing. That said, down the stretch in the fifth set and from four all on, he kept swinging with that forehand. Again, I turned to that love 15 return to go after that forehand in that moment, indicative of his mindset of playing to win. And ultimately, that's what he was able to do, use his skill set, use his physicality to find ways to wear down a Ramos who... Hit, by the way, in that 4-3 service game for Alcaraz, first point, Ramos hits a cross-court backhand winner, was one of the most ridiculous cross-court backhand winners, just slapped from like seven feet behind the baseline, finds this ridiculous angle, hit that ball flat. Most people don't do that. And again, Ramos is a veteran's veteran on the clay court. Alcaraz able to survive the early tournament test in five sets. That's what top seeds do. They're pushed to the brink, but ultimately they succeed. Again, Alcaraz is still 19 years old. If he wins a Grand Slam right now, we're talking about historic levels of, I wanted to say specialness, but just historic levels of greatness from a player his age to even get to the third round for a second consecutive season, to be 4-1 and one in five set matches. He's checking off all the boxes still. It's a fantastic win for Carlos Alcaraz to advance. And look, speaking of fantastic wins, this may be a controversial take. And again, this is not 
calling him a fantastic human being. Simply put, Alex Virov played good tennis today in his five-set victory over Sebastian Baez. And of course, there were moments of typical passivity from Zverev in big stretches in particular to get broken, to go down 2-4 in that fifth set. He you know, was six feet behind the baseline the entire time, was allowing Sebastian Baez to dictate with his forehand, was rolling in second serves. And you know, ultimately, he goes down, he gets the break back, but 4-5 Zverev is serving to stay alive in the set. In the first four points, he made zero first serves and rolls in a second second serve that Baez crushes with a forehand return to take control of the point. There were still those moments of passivity for Zvira. That said, you look for him in this match, 33 of 54 at the net. And while that's only a 61% conversion rate, if you go watch that fifth set between Zverev and Baez, in particular when Zverev goes down 2-4, he continued to press forward. He continued to put himself in positions to be at the net and have successful plus one volleys. And credit to Baez, who moves as well as any player you're going to see on the clay courts. And by the way, for Sebastian Baez now, just a ridiculous amount of success, 99 and 39 overall uh, since tour play resumed in this pandemic era. You look for him on clay courts in particular. Baez, an even more ridiculous 90 and 27 overall on clay courts. You look for him against top 100 opponents during that stretch of time 21 and 8 overall against the top 50 he's 5 and 5 I think Sebastian Baez is one of the you know an ATP title a separate ATP final and six ATP challenger titles I believe on the clay during that stretch of time unequivocally a top 50 player on the clay you look for Sebastian Baez up to a new career high live ranking right now of number 35 I think he's a top 20 guy on the clay the weapons he's well first of all it starts with the movement tracks down everything and just his ability to on the stretch and in the outer thirds of the court find depth find pace and just his forehand how dynamic it is how much spin he puts on that ball rips through the court his ability to drive that ball though as well and you know find the angle cross court there were times when he just would hit with such heavy topspin to the Zverev forehand Zverev would leave the ball short then Baez able to drive that forehand and find that combination and you know again you look at the winner to unforced error count here Baez 38 to 40 47, Zvira 42 to 46. This was an extraordinarily high-level match. And yes, Zverev came out tentative. There's no doubt about that. And he didn't serve particularly well in set number one or set number two. Just was really rolling in serves, but was able to find free points in the biggest moments. And, you know, in particular, 4-5, 30-40 hits a big serve tee that Baez predicts so well. And actually, Baez had the cleanest rip on that return. Just ends up sending it a bit wide. Zverev then finds two big first serves on the deuce point, on the add point, one of which draws a, you know, a forced error from Baez to ultimately escape for Vival. And then Zverev played with great aggression in that five-all return game. Now, or excuse me, in his 6-5 service game. Now, the five-all break, Baez starts out the game with uh, two early forehand errors, trying to go big on a plus-one ball, trying to dictate early. One of them missed in the net, the other missed long and wide. I mean, he gave Zverev two free points, but from there, you know, gets the game back to 30-all, and that's where, again, 30-all point, Zverev, gets a clean look at a backhand, takes it early on the rise, follows it in, hits the volley winner. You know, again, has a short angle cross-court volley as well that helps him secure the break. He continued to push forward in the biggest moments of this match. And, you know, again, Zverev was down two sets to love here in this match. And you look for Alex Zverev, who now overall here in 2022, 26-9. Uh, I mean, again, that's after a pretty rough Australian Open to the start of the clay court season stretch and you know he makes the semifinals in Monte Carlo then loses to Holger Rune but finals in Madrid semifinals in Rome you know he comes into this Roland Garros defending semifinal points from last year another match where he was down two sets to love before forcing the fifth against Tsitsipas you know this time he gets over the hump and you look for Alex Virov in his career in matches where he has been down uh, two sets to love. Uh, I believe, you know, again, Zverev has not had typically had a bunch of success in those instances. You look for him in his career. Zverev, 3-12 and 12 overall, down two sets to love. Now, he got another one at last year's Roland Garros in the first round over Oscar Ota. The other time he did a 2020 U.S. Open, two sets to love down. How could we forget? In the semifinals against Pablo Carreno Busta. But again, three and twelve, uh, two and twelve coming into this match, went down two sets to love. And to Zverev's credit, he became a wall physically and just did not make unforced errors. Hits his backhand out of the corner just so extraordinarily well and down 
that break two four when uh, down four two, you know, by a serving to consolidate and take a five two lead in the fifth. Very first point, Zverev comes up with one of those special on the stretch down the line backhand passes that he and Novak Djokovic are the only two players on tour who can hit that on the stretch backhand pass the way they do. Special stuff. From Zverev. And again, the serve gives him free points. I actually thought he served pretty well down the home stretch of this match. You look for him overall, only four double faults in the match, made 68% of his first serves, was able to fight off eight of the 13 break points that he faced, converted seven of his 11 break point chances down two sets to love, started playing far more freely from the baseline, started stepping into his backhand again. If we see the Zverev of sets three and four, that's a Zverev that can win the tournament. If he too typically though, there's those 45 to an hour stretches where we see the Zverev of sets one and two, and in particular down the home stretch of number two, where he just got passive and started rolling in second serves and just you know playing six feet behind the baseline, relying on his physicality. And the rest of the field is too good; they're not going to let him get away with that. Now his physicality and his ability to extend rallies—that's what's going to allow him to survive and certainly put him in a position at the end of this match to have some success. His big serve, his willingness to move forward, in particular got him over the hump you hope he remembers that moving forward as he tries to navigate his way through this draw and by the way you look now for Zverev moving forward uh I believe in his next match he's going to take on Brandon Nakashima they have faced in uh, one another in Grand Slams before Nakashima impressive victory over Talon Greekspor to advance to his first third round in Paris and that in itself is a victory for Brandon Nakashima who's back up to number 63 in the live rankings one off his career high of 62 has put himself in a position to at a minimum get into qualies of Toronto or Montreal, the Canada Masters, Cincinnati Masters. He's going to get into the city open, and he'll be able to play the summer hardcourt schedule that he wants, which is, of course, the surface where the young American will thrive the most. But that's a match Zverev has to win in straight sets, just get things back on track in particular. When you look, obviously, Alcaraz would be that quarterfinal opponent, perhaps an Isner or a Zapata Morales in particular. Isner would be the big serving threat. Zapata Morales, the physical matchup in round number four again. And Zverev has two matches here, Nakashima and then that Isner-Zapata-Morales winner to continue to capitalize. I think he has played fairly well through his first two matches. Again, I think Sebastian Baez is a top 20 player on clay courts. And certainly you look via tennis abstracts, clay court specific ELO ratings, which of course we are immensely grateful that they provide. You look for Sebastian Baez according to the uh, clay court specific ELO ratings. He's the ninth best clay court player in the world. Again, that's according to the clay court specific ELO ratings, but ninth best player in the world uh, on clay according to tennis abstracts ELO ratings. I would agree with that more than his number 35 over all ranking right now it's a it's a tough draw for Sebastian Baez who without question will be making multiple second weeks and probably multiple quarterfinals at Roland Garros in his career but credit to Zverev for getting through that matchup ultimately again survival is the name of the game that's what he's able to do to set up a round three matchup with Brandon Nakashima by the way for what it's worth now for Carlos Alcaraz round number three he gets a rematch with Sebastian Corda obviously that's the man who beat him in Monte Carlo Carlos Alcaraz's only clay court loss of the season Corda straight set victory over Richard Gasquet to advance. I mean, the young American now up in the live rankings, I believe. Sebastian Corda up to, let's see, where is Corda right now? He's currently sitting at number 38, which is eight off his career high. One more victory, though, will get him back up to number 31, which is one off his career high. And again, if you're looking here, how many Americans are going to be seated at the U.S. Open, Fritz, Opelka, Isner likely locks, Tiafos 27 right now, Brooksby 31, Corda 38, Paul 39, you've also got Garone Mackey at 52-56 respectfully, Nakashima 63, Cressy 64, there's a legitimate world where we will have 10 top 50 Americans at some point this season. I, how did I go from zero and Baez to uh, Americans? Oh, that's because I was talking about Corda, of course, uh, playing Carlos Alcaraz next. But just throwing that out there, folks. A little fun thing to watch if you're an American men's tennis fan is there is that chance. And I don't think we've – I mean, I know for a fact we have not had 10 top 50 Americans since the – 
early to mid 90s at the earliest if not perhaps even the 80s as well but with that said again that's where things stand right now uh, according to all right that's where things stand right now I apologize some of you may have heard I just got a call it was former co-host of this podcast Maxwell LeBauer Rothman who hopefully will have at some point here during this French Open but with that said those were two of your three two sets to love survivals I suppose I could also throw in Diego Schwartzman who just went into backboard mode in his 2-6-6-7-6-2-6-2-6-2 victory over Haumi Munar you look for Schwartzman throughout the quarters of the match 36 winners 51 unforced errors he made 28 of those 51 unforced errors in the first two sets 23 over the next three meanwhile for Haumi Munar 61 total unforced errors made just 16 of those in the first set so again after that first set 23 unforced errors from Schwartzman 46 for Munar yeah Schwartzman just went into backboard mode and credit to Munar who made this match extraordinarily physical and by the way Munar had 14 breakpoint chances in this match was only able to convert three of them that's the difference is Schwartzman went seven for ten I mean you know ultimately both guys were over 50 percent on both their first and second serves but the majority of these service games, 30 alls, 40 30s, 30 15 points. Again, there were minimal separation between the two. You look at the rally analysis, obviously, between these two. They played 75 points. They play, so they played 170, uh, excuse me, 277 total points. 75 of those 277 went over nine shots. And, you know, overall, 73 plus 75 is 100. 73 plus 75 is 148. Sorry, I just had to say the numbers out loud. 148, more than 50% of their shots were five-plus rallies. Again, this was a physical, physical match. Schwartzman, obviously a semifinalist at the French Open before, just was unwilling to let Munar grind him down and was willing to, again, move the ball around each of the outer thirds of the court. Munar just not quite able to manufacture enough pace to damage Schwartzman and ultimately pulled the trigger too soon. Again, 61 total unforced errors for him against just 40 winners. You look for both guys, you know, I thought Munar did do a good job when pressing forward, 30 of 39 overall at the net. The problem was he had to be 100% sure he was going to win the point to get to the net. Otherwise, Schwartzman was going to pass him. And that 30 of 39 is generous because I think there are opportunities where Munar maybe took a step forward and Schwartzman beat him to the spot and passed him. And they just ultimately did not count that as a net point one. Now, in terms of four stairs in this match, the guys were pretty even. So again, what this came down to was ultimately... Did Munar have the legs in sets four and five in particular to be willing to go 10 plus balls with Diego Schwartzman each and every point? Ultimately, the answer to that question was no. That's why Schwartzman, as he so frequently is able to do, uh, was ultimately able to advance in five sets. And now you look uh, for Diego Schwartzman. He's going to advance to play a very much, very much informed uh, Greek or Dimitrov. Dimitrov, another straight set victory, dropped, what, three games in his opening win against Mark. Goes get her own straight sets now over a returning to form Borna Chorich. Interestingly enough, Schwartzman a 60-40 favorite according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. That said, I don't think that factors in Grigor Dimitrov's current form nor how physical this five-set match was for Diego Schwartzman. Let's see. Do they have the odds up on DraftKings yet? They do. Diego Schwartzman plus 120. Dimitrov minus 145. The bookmakers are seeing what I was seeing. I thought we might get the chance of a little Dimitrov of underdog action that is no not the case and as always that is why the books are able to continue to exist because guess what they're smart about this sort of stuff with that said those were the seeds that were able to survive today let's flip gears now talk about some of the women's action and in particular a couple of the seeds who were knocked off here on day four let's start with Maria Sakari, who if you listen to our preview podcast you know I was not particularly high on entering this French Open and the reason for that fact is while Sakari had been good she lacked a signature victory thus far in the clay court season you look for Sakari here in clay you know first round loss for her to Laura Siegemund in Stuttgart now that was a match where she had to retire with an injury so you want to throw that one out that's fine she then beats Madison Keys in three sets in Madrid knocked off in three by Daria Kasakina. again Kasakina has been 
relentlessly consistent, going to put so much pressure on you, but you feel like that's a match where Sakari should be able to match Kasekina's physicality and have her weapons, her first serve, be the biggest weapon on the court, her forehand also the biggest weapon, a match where she could wear Kasekina down. Ultimately, that was not the case. Of course, then there was the heartbreaking loss in Rome in the quarterfinals to Own Jabour, a match where, again, she put herself in a position. She was up a set, what, 5-2, whatever it was, before Jabour able to race back and then all ultimately take the third set 6-1. There just wasn't a lot of confidence coming in for the uh, the number four seed. That said, after a two and three victory over Clara Burrell, you thought, okay, maybe Sakari is feeling herself. But again, it was an erratic performance. And I don't mean to take away credit from Karolina Mukova, the unseeded Czech, ultimately a 7-6-7-6 victory over Sakari. But Sakari was down 5-2 in a blink of an eye in that first set. And while it was very much partially due to the fact of the pressure Mukova was putting on Sakari, you look for Mukova, 34 winners against 22 unforced errors in this match, perhaps most impressively, 16 of 24 at the net to Sakari's 13 of 34. A, why was Sakari 13 of 34 at the net? Because Mukova drop-shotted her to death, kept luring Sakari in because Sakari played passive, and that's because the unforced error count was racking up. You look for her, 31 winners against 37 unforced errors was pretty even. 18 unforced errors in set number one, 19 unforced errors in set number two was down breaks in both of the sets. What her forehand looked different to me. It just looked loopier. It looked like the backswing was a little bit bigger, like she was doing a little bit more with her elbow than she used to. And while there were moments where she could hit the plus one ball a little bit heavier, it did rip through the clay court a little bit more effectively. There were just so many sporadic shanks and unforced errors on the run or balls, you know, sailed into the net. And, you know, again, whenever she did play the slice, whenever she did get tentative, which inevitably happened when the unforced errors began to pile up, Mukov made her pay with the drop shot, with the approaches, with just her willingness to move forward and throw off-speed looks at Sakari to continue to prevent Sakari from uh, finding a rhythm. Again, all of the credit in the world to Karolina Mukova here, who's finally healthy. We all know how capable Karolina Mukova can be when she is healthy. You look for Mukova, who's now into her seventh uh, Grand Slam third round of her career, has made, I believe, six of those, uh, excuse me, into her eighth Grand Slam third round of her career, has made the third round in seven of the last 11 grand slams and to be clear again seven of the last 11 are excuse me 2019 is four 2021 is four 11 so excuse me seven of the last 13 grand slams and i know that's not elisa mertens who's made what 17 in a row now third rounds but seven of the last 13 to me in the last 32 and you know more than half of the grand slams that have been played Caroline Mukva is far better than her number 81 ranking would indicate, and obviously that's a byproduct of the fact that she's been injured for much of the past two years, didn't play a match from August of last season to March of this year, but you look for her results, third round in Miami, she knocks out Layla Fernandez before getting knocked out by Naomi Osaka, and you know ultimately got a win in Madrid before getting knocked out by Bencic, tough loss to her in three sets to Petra Martic in Rome, but Martic can be tricky uh, on the clay courts always. Again, 7-6, seven, 7-6, six, seven, six, and it was a back-and-forth first set breaker. I believe Sakari ultimately earned a 5-4 lead, but Mukva kept the pressure on. And again, it was an erratic performance from Sakari, who still, in her last 52 weeks, has been pretty rock-solid overall. 42-21, and 21, she's winning two-thirds of her matches, and again, What's the, I other than the Siegemann lost and I suppose Haddad Maya in Miami as well? What's the bad loss for Sakari over the last 52 weeks? Certainly not Sviantek in the Indian Wells final or Sviantek in the Doha semifinals and at Conteve in the St. Petersburg final. Not a bad loss to lose to Pagula in straight sets in Australian Open fourth round isn't the greatest result, but that's not by any stretch of the imagination a bad loss. I'm going to throw out the first week of the season. In a vacuum, other than Haddad Maya in Miami, which again, schedule loss considering she had just made the final of Indian Wells, other than Haddad Maya in Miami, or maybe Sigamund in Stuttgart, but again, that's a match where she withdraws with injury halfway through that second set, there hasn't been a bad loss for Maria Sakari this season. She's also racked up some pretty good wins. She, you know, again, beat Bedosa in Indian Wells, beat Rabakana there, beat Pagula in Goff and in Doha. That's good, 
That's not great. And again, it does feel like the window is open right now, right? Because Annette Conteve had already been knocked out of the tournament, as had Garbine Muguruza, as had Barbara Krejcikova. All of these players in the bottom half of the draw. Maria Sakkari was your top seed remaining in that bottom half of the draw. She's no longer. Again, she gets knocked out as well. And that's a credit to Karolina Mukova, who, by the way, I feel like it's always worth reminding you look for Mukova in her career at the Grand Slams. This is a player who has made multiple quarterfinals, you know, semifinalist in Australia in 2021, quarterfinalist in Wimbledon last season as well. She was quarterfinals Wimbledon 2019 also. She was playing the best tennis of her career last year before getting injured, had reached a career high of number 19 last May. This was a tough draw for Maria Sakkari. There is no doubt about it. That said, Given the parity on the WTA Tour, you're going to get four or five matches like a Mukova on your way back to a semifinal or to a Grand Slam final. And ultimately, Sakharin gets tripped up in her first of that sequence of matches in a time when, again, the draw was wide open. So no doubt. This is a disappointing loss for Maria Sakkari, who, again, was just erratic throughout the course of the match. The errors piled up for her again. 31 winners against 37 unforced errors. Meanwhile, Mukova, plus 12 ratio. Again, all this says, more than anything else, Carolina Mukova is back. But that's a tough loss for Maria Sakkari, particularly given, again, how open that bottom half of the draw was. But that was upset number one on the day, probably the most notable of the group. Another upset we saw, uh, Sasnovich. 3-6-6-1-6-1 over number 12 seed U.S. Open champion Emma Raducanu. Now, you look through the course of this match, Sas, you know, Sasnovich was just on fire in sets number two and three, and you look for her overall 45 winners against 24 unforced errors. She hit 19 winners against just four unforced errors in set number two. Now, part of that was physically, you could tell Raducanu had worn down by the end of this match, just wasn't able to change direction, wasn't looking comfortable at the clay at all uh, by the end of set number three, but angles, short, you know, drop shots, 12 of 14 at the net as well, moving forward, hitting the swinging volley when the opportunity presented itself, opening up angles with, by going wide with her service patterns just to force Radikanu to cover all of that court. Sasnovich played a very smart match tactically. And again, you look in terms of the plus one rallies, there were not two, you know, Sasnovich plus 10 on the plus one balls. And, you know, she's plus, uh, I believe, 13 overall in the rallies that went five plus shots as well. You know, Radikanu played a good first set. She didn't allow Sasnovich to get into her bag and play her tricks and play her angles. But, you know, again, ultimately, physically, Radikanu just wasn't quite there. And again, this is Radikanu's first French Open main draw. Let's be clear. You look for Emma Radikanu. All these points are free points for her. Meanwhile, for Sasnovich into the seventh, third round at a Grand Slam in her career has only once advanced past the third round. That was back at the 2018 Wimbledon. This is the furthest she's ever gone at the French Open in her career, but credit to Sasnovich played a strong match again in terms of Emma Raducanu for doing the autopsy on her clay court season. I actually thought it was pretty successful. Quarterfinal Stuttgart, 4-4 four four lost to Sviantec. That's a faster clay court and event she's going to have to have success in if she wants to stay top 10 throughout the course of her career given the points associated with that event, but I think quarterfinal there is a good showing. Beats Martin Sovan Kostyuk in straight sets before a tough three-set loss to Kalnina in Madrid. Has to retire in Rome against Andrescu, then wins her first-round match in three before, the again, just running out of gas in her three-set loss at Roland Garros. B-plus would be my grade for Emma Raducanu through this clay court season. There are things there. Again, her weapons, her ability to move the ball around the court, her comfortable, uh, her comfort level moving forward. All of these things are things, in my opinion, that I think you should feel good about if you are a fan of Emma Raducanu moving forward. I think there's game there uh, for her to have success on clay courts, but again, just wasn't ready for the variety, the physicality uh, presented by Sasnovich. So ultimately, she is knocked out. And again, one of four women's seeds to be knocked out on the day. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.
let's look more broadly now at uh, the upsets that happened on both the men's and women's side. We'll start with the women. And, you know, again, uh, I think the, the big upset on the day is certainly Maria Sakari, but some of the others that unfolded other than Radakanu Sloan Stevens from a set down 3-6-6-2-6 love victory over Serana Kirstea. Of course, Sloan Stevens, a former finalist at the 2022 French Open, took a horrendous loss uh, going into the event. Uh, I believe that loss, again, was what I want to get the score correctly to uh, Berberovich. Yeah, three set loss to Berberovich in Strasbourg. She also was 0-4 on the clay courts, including the green clay of Charleston with losses to Berberovich, Alexandrova, Kalnina, and Zhang coming into this Roland Garros. So, of course, Sloane Stevens makes the third round with three set victories over Niemeyer and Kirstea to set up a very winnable match against Diane Perry. Perry, the straight set upset victory over a fellow unseeded player, but certainly more pedigree in Kami Osorio's impressive straight set victory for Perry, the French uh, qualifier. I believe, but I mean, look, who's the favorite on paper? Who's the more experienced player? Without question, it's Sloane Stevens. She's played two, three set matches, but look, 78.7% favorite according to our tennis abstract projection. There's obviously a reason for that. And again, you look at the bottom of the draw. No number two seed, Barbara Krejcikova. No number four seed, Maria Sakkari. No number 10 seed, Garbine Muguruza. No number five seed, Annette Conteve. The highest seed left in the bottom half of the draw is number 14 seed, Belinda Bencic, who will never be accused of being a clay court specialist. This bottom half of the draw is wide open, and if there's ever going to be an opportunity for Sloane Stevens to make another Grand Slam final run, Gosh darn it. Sorry, I'm just not in the mood to swear and make Westhoff do that extra work. Gosh darn it. Uh, is it this 2022 French Open? But again, Sloan Stevens just found the outer thirds, played well. Kristea lost her form completely. That's a good win from Stevens. And then a good win for Daria Gavrilova. Gavrilova 4-2 and two over number 32 seed Petra Kvitova. Kvitova just didn't have the range today. You know, again, the unforced error count racked up. And Gavrilova did a good job of just hanging in there physically, forcing Kvitova into, you know, Five-plus shot rallies, not allowing Kvitova to just tee off with an easy plus-one forehand. So, again, four seeds eliminated today. That means eight seeds in total eliminated. I've mentioned all of them except Samsonova, uh, who was eliminated in her first-round match. But, again, we knew Krejcikova coming off of injury. Was she really a threat to win the title here? Probably not. The re- the real title threat we've lost thus far is Onjabur, the number six seed in that three-set loss to Magda Lynette. Certainly Maria Sakkari we thought might be in the hunt. I know that was a six-and-six six win for Mukova. Definitely an upset. Definitely a lost opportunity for Maria Sakkari, but... Mukova played really well. She stayed aggressive, and again, the unforced error count, what was she, plus 14? Like, she was quarterfinals, semifinals at slams last year. She's just healthy again. That's a brutal draw for Sakari. A match she should have won, but 6-6. Six and six. It's a really good match. Uh, could have gone either way, of course, on the men's side. I think for Taylor Fritz, the fact that he played this event, he was obviously not his healthiest coming into it. He gets a first-round win in five sets. That's a victory, but credit to Bernabe Zapata Morales, the young Spaniard. Uh, I don't know how young he technically is, but a 3-6-6-2-6-2-6-3 victory ultimately over Fritz. And, I mean, again, you look for Zapata Morales. Certainly, Clay Court has been whereas he has had the majority of his success. The 25-year-old, who, yeah, I suppose that's not particularly young. Uh, you look for him, has made six challenger finals in his career, four of the six on clay. He's made two. He's won two challenger titles, uh, won two challenger titles, excuse me, last season. You know, was ranked number 131. Coming into this event by making the third round, though, Zapata Morales is going to fly up those rankings. And now Bernabe Zapata Morales currently up. Let's see. Is it a new career high? It is. Number 106 for the 25-year-old Spaniard. Guarantees he gets into qualifying. May even sneak him into the main draw now of that uh, of that. Wimbledon, there it is. That's the name I'm looking for. You look for him, though. He's been a really good clay court season for Zapata Morales. He qualifies in Monte Carlo before getting knocked out by Demon Hour. Qualifies in Barcelona. Wins a first-round match before getting knocked out by Carreno Busta. Qualifies and wins a match in Estoril before getting knocked out by Davidovich Fokina. Comes through qualifying, earns victories over Michael Moe. Now Taylor Fritz, he's an American killer to get to the third round here of this French Open. And I don't think this 
this is going to be a surprise to anyone to learn for Bernard Zepbe Zapata Morales. This is his first third round at a Grand Slam. It was also just his second second round at a Grand Slam. Both of them coming in the last three slams as he made the second round of last year's U.S. Open. What more could you ask for from the 25-year-old? And again, for Taylor Fritz, who was injured, certainly, and I'm not making excuses, but was physically worn down coming into this, the fact that he ultimately gets a win here at this event. He didn't serve particularly well today. The unforced error count racked up. Zapata Morales made this match physical, extended Fritz to the outer thirds. He didn't do anything extraordinary, but was extraordinarily solid throughout the course of this match. Still, if you're Fritz, I mean, talk about a guy who's going to be crushed that there aren't going to be points at Wimbledon this season. The grass courts a surface Taylor Fritz arguably might have the most success in throughout the course of his career with just how big he hits that serve how comfortable he is on the return and the plus one shots the short rallies but credit to Zapata Morales made this match clay court match and ultimately again was the better of the two players you look right now let's go back to those clay court elos because I am curious what Bernard Bay Zapata Morales if I can see him in the top 20 I'll let you know what his individual clay court elo rating is I see Vanderson sculpt do I see Zapata Morales I do not see Zapata Morales inside my top 20. Nevertheless, that's a fantastic result for him again into his first third round of his career. Ultimately earns the one men's upset on the day, knocking off Taylor Fritz. And again, when we look at the men's upsets thus far, Fritz knocked off four sets by Zapata Morales. Maybe the name is surprising to some. I don't think that was particularly notable, though, and I don't think any of us thought Taylor Fritz was going to go any further than round number four. Shapovalov, if hot, certainly could have made a run, but given the context who he lost to, Holger Rune, one of those dangerous players you're going to play. Holger Rune, I believe right now, is probably top 20 in clay court ELO rating. Context being key, I don't think that's a particularly bad loss. Opelka losing early, not particularly shocking. Demon Hour, the name was surprising, but again, 7-6 in the fifth set loss. Not a bad loss with context. Losing Davidovich Fokina early, a bit surprising, but quarterfinals felt like his ceiling. Tommy Paul lost to Christian Green. That was a pick em. Brooksby losing early, not particularly surprising. I think that we haven't lost the top 10 seed. We almost did, obviously, in Alcaraz and Zverev. And I honestly think Munar beating Schwartzman in five sets wouldn't have been that shocking. Had we lost one of Zverev or Alcaraz, that would have been... Elkarez, in particular, a paradigm shift. Zverev, honestly, I would say so as well. But things fairly steady on the men's side. Complete chaos on the bottom half of the women's draw. With that in mind, let's get to some of the normalcy. I suppose we saw today on day four of the women's singles competition. The player who impressed me the most today of any single player, and we had, I believe, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight seeds advance in straight sets. The most impressive was Belinda Bencic, who earns a 6-2, 6-4 victory over Bianca Andreescu. Look for Belinda Bencic now. She's 46-18 and 18 in her last 52 weeks. 72% win percentage would be a little bit better than that if you go since the start of the grass court season and take out her second round loss last year at Roland Garros. And again, it's who she's beating during this stretch of time. She's 22 and 10 against top 50 opponents, 8 and 4 against the top 20. The biggest thing is, I mentioned it, she's played 64 matches over a 52 week stretch. When was the last time we saw Belinda Bencic this healthy for this long? And it's just how confidently she's moving and just. Her ability today to take everything early on the rise against Bianca Andreescu. You look for Bencic in this match. It may say only 17, 17 winners against 22 unforced errors. She forced 25 forced errors out of Bianca Andreescu to the only 16 Andreescu was forced out of Bencic. So you had another plus nine there for Belinda Bencic, who was just striking the plus one ball with ease. And you look again at the rally analysis in this match. Bencic what? She was plus two lower than Andrescu. That's interesting. But it, oh, that's why. Because Benchich doesn't hit plus one balls. Here we go. I see the rest of the stat. In the five to eight shot rallies, of which there were 30, you know, 30 of the 114 total shot uh, points went five to eight shots. Benchich was plus 12 in that category. Her ability to take her first ball early on the rise in the opposite direction of Andrescu would set up the short ball, which she was then able to capitalize with either a winner or, again, a forced error out of Andrescu. She's just striking the ball so cleanly from the baseline. And I talked about this with David Kane. She's not your traditional Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club member. She doesn't have that Sabalenka, you know, 
Rabakina and Isimova knock your socks off pace, but her ability to, her ability as a ball striker to take that ball early on the rise to capture it exactly where she wants it, it's special. And again, for Belinda Bencic, no one's going to ever accuse her of being a clay court specialist. You look for Bencic in her career, and we'll look across surfaces here at the WTA level. Again, Belinda Bencic now overall in her career has played over 350 matches. You look for her hard courts, 146 and 99. Grass courts, 40 and 19. Clay courts, 43 and 29. That's actually the same as her hard court win percentage. Interesting. Is she an underrated clay court player? Well, let's look for her in terms terms of third rounds at Roland Garros. It's only the second time in her career she's made it to the third round. She lost the last time she was here, 2019 straight set loss to Donna Vekic. She's now got a matchup of matchups. Again, it's only going to get tougher for her as she takes on another Canadian in Layla Fernandez. Is she going to be the Canadian slayer? Is that what it's all about for Belinda Bencic? I'll tell you what, if she continues to strike the ball this well, she absolutely can be. And look, there were hiccups for her down the home stretch. Was either up 5-1, 5-2 in that second set before Bianca Andreescu was able to rip off three or four straight games. And Andreescu fought off multiple match points by taking second serves on the rise and putting Bencic under pressure right away. And look, if you can put Belinda Bench under pressure right away, if you can get her stretched into the outer thirds of the court, not allow her to take that ball early on the rise and on her terms, she is not the best mover. She is not the best defensive player. While she is moving the best in her career, no one would confuse Belinda Bencic for a grinder, for, you know, again, an elite mover on tour. That said, it doesn't matter because she's striking the ball confidently. She's hitting the return freely. Again, she won four of Andreescu's first six return games. She was just all over the Canadian, and she's playing as confidently as anyone in the draw. And again, she's the highest seed remaining. In the bottom half of the draw, you look now uh, certainly for uh, for Belinda Bencic. If it's not going to happen at this French Open where she makes a, a second-week run, I don't know where it is. And obviously, Fernandez is a tough out. But right now, Bencic is 73.4% favorite. Now, look, talk about a brutal section. You know, again— laps the rest of this bottom half of the draw. It's Bencic versus Fernandez, Anisimova versus Mukova. I think the winner of this section ultimately makes the final out of this draw, assuming they're not beaten down by just having to get through these next two matches. But Bencic is playing as well as anyone in that bottom half of the draw. I thought she played extraordinary tennis today uh, to ultimately advance over Bianca Andreescu. And by the way, just quick autopsy on the Bianca Andreescu clay court season, was finally able to be healthy, played 12 uh, matches in her. Yeah, had only played seven career clay court matches going into it, got 12 under her belt this season. Second round loss in Stuttgart, three sets to Sabalenka. Not a bad loss. Wins over Collins at, in Madrid before a straight set loss to Pegula. Not a bad loss. Wins over Raducanu, Parises, Diaz, and Martic before getting knocked out in a really competitive 7-6, then 6-love quarterfinal to Iga Sviantek, then makes the second round here before running into a confident Belinda Bencic. Bianca Andreescu is rounding into form, and you look for Andreescu by making the second round here, 70 in the rankings. She'll get a wild card into whatever she wants to play. That's what happens when you win a Grand Slam before the age of 21, but I think she is playing better, and I thought, again, on the stretch, she was pretty good physically. Her willingness to work her way, or her ability to work her way back into this match, she was down a set and three love, and again, a set and five two, I believe, didn't, or set and five one, didn't quit, uh, was willing to, again, extend rallies, find ways to get defensive, but turn that defense into offense, just elevate balls, throw junk at Bencic. Andreescu's got an incredible skill set. Let's not forget, yeah, she can play outstanding power tennis and is at her best when she's striking the ball early and being the aggressor, but she's a jack of all trades. She can do a lot of things. And again, I would also give her a B plus coming out of this clay court season, but I would say she's probably closer to an A-minus than Radakanu was, just given the fact that she's healthy again, which is obviously the most important thing. But you look through the rest of the women's seeds. I mean, look, Vika's playing hasn't been tested yet. Straight set victory for her over Pekovic. The only matches she's really lost has been against top competition or when she's been injured. And given how open the bottom of the draw is, certainly Victoria Azarenka. Why not Vika is the question we're all asking ourselves. She's got Jill Teichman next. Teichman, another straight set victory, 4-1 and one. again. But on pedigree, she had the best clay court season of anyone in this bottom half of the draw. 4-1 and one victory for her over Danilovic. You look at some of the other players playing well. Kerber make it now, what, seven straight wins for her. Wins a title last week now into the third round. 1-6 and six over Giacomo, Leila Fernandez, 7-6. 
sets up that matchup with Benchich with a 3-2 and two win over Sinyakova. Coco Goff, important for her to get to the third round as she's defending quarterfinal points. She earns a straight set victory, now has a very winnable match against Kaya Kanepi. Kanepi, a 4-4 four four victory over Haddad Maya. You look at some of the other players. Again, Perry, 3-3 three and three over Osorio. Trevisan, 3-2, and two, ends the run of Magda Lynette. The real one, though, is Amanda Nisimova, who steamrolls her way. Steamrolls is a stretch, but 4-1 and one over Donna Vekic. Found her range in that match as the match went on and just, again, is healthy and playing her best tennis. And you look for who the two, you know, again, quarterfinals for her in Madrid. Semifinals in Charleston. Quarterfinals in Rome. Now straight set victories over Osaka and Vekic to get her tournament started. Look, Mukova hangs second serves, and with Anisimova hitting the return as well as she is right now, how confident she is playing plus one tennis on her own serve. You look for Amanda Anisimova, who by making the third round here at Roland Garros, back up to number 23 in the live rankings, two off her career high of number 21. She's 11th in the points race as well right now, and obviously top five player according to Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings by their yearly ELO ratings. Excuse me. It's just, again, of everyone I've listed in this bottom half of the draw. Anisimova is the one who's made a semifinal here at the French Open. I'm throwing Vika out the window because we just don't know how healthy. I just, again, do, can I see her doing it over a six-match stretch, a, real, a seven-match stretch? I really can't. I really can for Amanda Anisimova, who will certainly have a winnable match now against, uh, against Mukova. And again, just given how open this draw is, Anisimova has had the most success of anyone in this bottom half of the draw throughout the duration of the season. Obviously, she has that semifinal pedigree. She's swinging freely. She is certainly a future inductee in Serena Williams' Power Tennis Country Club. But, you know, again, she was my most impressive performer. I really do think she is the favorite right now to emerge out of that bottom half of the draw. With that said, though, let's switch gears and talk about the men. Pretty straightforward day for the remainder of the top seeds. I mentioned Sebastian Korda cruising in straight sets. Most importantly, Novak Djokovic did his thing. 2-3-6 and six over Alex Mulcan, who, of course, he played in the Belgrade final last season and, you know, is now coached by longtime Novak Djokovic coach Marion Vida. Certainly, that was always going to be a tough matchup given no one knows Djokovic's game better than Vida. That said... I mean, Djokovic was able to work his way in physically, and Mulcan just didn't have the weapons to hurt Djokovic. Djokovic seems locked in, seems to be back at that level we saw when he was at his healthiest last season from a physical perspective. And again, he's hitting on the slide so comfortably. He's serving well. He's yet to be tested, cruising into round number three, where now for Novak Djokovic, you look for him, I believe, and I don't want to get this incorrect here, but for Novak Djokovic now, uh, he is going to face, let's see here, Novak Djokovic going to match up against Alia Bedene. I mean, certainly if you are asking a Novak Djokovic fan, hey, third round, you're facing Bedene. I think they would all sign up for that Djokovic, a 95.3% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. He cruised towards, of course, that inevitable showdown we are all waiting for in the quarterfinals against Rafael Nadal. Nadal, 3-1-4 and four over the always tricky lefty quarantine Mute. Mute embraced the fans. Actually, was up a break early to love uh, in that uh, – up a break early. It may not have been to love. I forget. I think it was to love in that – third set against Nadal, but Nadal Nadal'd his way to a straight set victory. Looks healthy, moving fluidly. Again, he gets more dangerous with every match under his belt because it means he's still healthy uh, at that point of the tournament. Thought Felix Ogiali seemed very impressed by the way he bounced back. Was down two sets to love in his first round, ultimately a five-set victory today. No nonsense. 0-3-4 over Carabelli. Simply put, Carabelli couldn't handle the serve, the forehand, the physicality of FAA over time. Impressive straight set victories for Nori and Dimitrov. Nori straight sets over Kubler. Again, Kubler doesn't have the weapons to hurt Nori with. Nori ruthlessly efficient for Dimitrov. 0-4-3 over Chorch. He's moving as well as I've ever seen him on the clay court, swinging confidently as a fact at because his feet are just always seem to be in that right position. He's playing extraordinarily well. Borna is closer to getting back to health still, I would say, 1.25 steps slower than he was before all of these injuries, but give him time to work his way back into form. Still will be 26 years old at the end of this year. He's got plenty of time to get back into his top 25 shape. Of course, Karen Hatchinov does what Hatchinov does. A little bit too much drama, but still four-set victory to advance to another third round. Isner, four-set victory to advance to the third round. Vandesen, Skulp, Korda, straight-set victories. You also had wins from Nakashima, Krajinovic, and Alia Bedene, as mentioned. That is your day four 
at the 2022 French Open. Now, of course, day five still coming. That's the back half of our third round matches. Let's talk about that before we wrap today's show. There are a bunch of good ones on the day. And as always, I like to rank them by the ones I will be watching most closely. You look on the women's side. I think Pagula Kalnina is the one that takes the cake for me. That was an exciting physical three-set match first round in Australia that Pagula ultimately won and used as a buttress to get to the quarterfinals in Melbourne. Now, again, Pagula will be the favorite. That match promises to be physical. I'd put two hours, 15 minutes minimum on the clock if you're going to watch that one from start to finish. But that should be a fun one. Bedosa versus Yuvan. Yuvan, I call her Belinda Bencic, 0.75. Going to strike the ball cleanly, but Bedosa looked excellent in her first-round match. Again, given how open that bottom half of the draw is, if you're Bedosa, you're like, how did I get stuck on the top? That said, uh, certainly uh, we'll have a chance to, uh, again, gain some more confidence moving forward. The upset alert from a seed perspective, and it wouldn't be an upset if we're being honest, Camila Georgie, the 28th seed, taking on Yulia Putenseva. You look, uh, obviously, according to our friends, actually, let's see via our friends at Giraffe, Kings right now. Who is the favorite in that matchup tomorrow? It's got to be Putensiva, right? And you look right now, Yulia Putensiva currently, yep, minus 220 in that matchup against Camilla Georgia. I would have been shocked to hear anything else, but certainly that's a seed you'd have on upset alert. I'm interested. How well is Ostapenko playing? She looked good in round one. Will she continue to look good in round two? She's got the always dangerous Alize Cornet. You've got Danielle Collins against fellow American Shelby Rogers. That's a big hitting battle. Uh, Katarina Alexandrova taking on the all Always tricky arena, Camilla Begu. Those are the women's matches I enjoy the most. On the men's side, Francis Tiafo, the number 24 seed, is a slight underdog tomorrow as he takes on David Goffin. You look according to the odds makers, uh, Francis Tiafo. Again, it's a narrow underdog, plus 115 to Goffin's minus 140. I might lean with the physicality of Tiafo as the underdog there. That's probably my favorite on the day. You look elsewhere, Kesmanovic taking on Sasha Bublik. You just never know what you're going to get with Bublik. Certainly Kesmanovic, the more solid of the two, but that should be fun. Basilishvili going to be the favorite over Mackie McDonald. Basilishvili the more comfortable on the clay, but you never know with Mackie Ball. The upset to look out for is Hubi Kurhat-Katz versus Marco Cecinato. Cecinato, a former semifinalist, obviously, at the French Open, plus 550 tomorrow against Hurkats. Hurkats has looked better and better on the clay. But every so often, Hubi will throw in that weird early round uh, slam exit. This would certainly, uh, from a paper perspective, with the sort of pressure Cecinato puts on you on these clay courts, be, feel like a match where that could happen. Some other interesting ones, just, again, if you want in the mood for good tennis, Ivashka versus Green, Evans versus Mikhail Emer. You might even have Dan Evans on upset alert tomorrow. Then Mar- 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 uh, Marton Fucevic against Marin Cilic. I think all those matches should be pretty solid as we look to finish up our round two action at the French Open. But again, that's your day four recap. That's your look at tomorrow's second round matches. Of course, I am traveling back to Champaign. Nevertheless, promise to have a day five recap for all of you listeners tomorrow night. I'm going to try to have recaps the rest of the way. May not be able to on Friday and Saturday when we're calling the semifinals and finals of the NCAA championships, but... If not, we'll find some way to replace it. We'll find some way to make it up for you. As again, it's the year's second Grand Slam, and we know it's our job here at Crack Rackets to keep all of you up to date on everything happening. Of course, if you missed our round one recap, our also draw preview with David Kane, you can find that here on the Mini Break podcast feed or on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.